Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and the transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Marlon. I have also required Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day, who to this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. The father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Bo- Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Thanks, Joe. You smashed it, all those names. That, that, that was a hard one, wasn't it? But thank you, well done. Let's, let's pray, and, uh, and then we'll look into that a bit more. Lord, we, we read this story of Ruth, and it's, it's, a, it's a great story, it's interesting, and it's, it's a beautiful story. But Lord, we recognize that it is part of your word, part of Holy Scripture, and therefore it is not just a story that we should read and be interested in and enjoy but it's a story that we are taught by you through. It is your word to us. And actually, Lord, the amazing thing is that in this moment, in this next half an hour, you want to speak to us, to our hearts and to our lives by your Spirit who 
works and lives today. So just now, Lord, make us ready to listen and to hear. And then, Lord, make us ready to go and do and be different and change and think differently and live differently. We ask you to do these things for your glory and our good. Amen. So um, we, we tend to think about life uh, and want in our life to, to count for something, don't we? Uh, and we want our life to kind of make a, an impact, uh, make a bit of a splash. There's a lot of chat nowadays about legacy, about what you leave behind, about what mark you make on the world. What, what gift do you give to the world and future generations when, when you're gone? You know, people talk like that quite a lot, don't they? Uh, and often we think, um, quite personally, we think, well, what am I going to pass on to my kids and, and, and the family uh, that, that I leave behind after I, I die? But, but also, I guess, we might think about legacy and making a mark in the office. What kind of reputation have we got? Or, or in the staff room? Or what's our reputation in, in the arts industry that we, that we work in or that we perform in? What do other people in our local community think of us? We want others to think well of us, don't we? We want people to respect us and, and think we're, we're something impressive in some way. And I think that's because we think that to, to make a difference, to make an impact, our name has to be great. So we spend lots of time, we spend lots of effort, we spend lots of investment, and then we spend lots of energy worrying about what people think about us. What kind of reputation do I have? What do other people think of me? What kind of legacy am I leaving behind? Well, listen, this, this end of the story of Ruth, I think it ought to convince us that's not the best way to live life. That is not the best way to live. Really, if you want to, your life to count for something significant, if you want to make a mark and make a difference, there is another way to live. But it's a hard way. And maybe we won't be convinced at first. But as we, as we dig into this story, I hope it will win us over. Listen, let, let me just remind, remind you of the story so far. It's, it's a short story, so we can do it quite quickly, and, and, and it might just bring us up to speed. We started with Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, with two sons living in Bethlehem in Israel about 3,000 years ago. But famine struck, and so they moved as a family off to a neighboring country called Moab, looking for a better life. And the sons married local women, uh, and things seemed to be going well. But then within 10 years, tragedy has struck, as firstly, Naomi's husband dies, and then her two sons die as well. And so Naomi is left in this very precarious situation. She's a foreigner uh, in, in another land. She's childless, she's empty, and she's poor. And so she says to people, call me bitter. God's made my life bitter. I've got a horrible life. Well, the famine ends. And so Naomi takes the decision to head back home because she hasn't got much to stay for. And she comes back to Bethlehem depressed and desperate but with Ruth, one of her daughter-in-laws, who is faithful to her. Ruth, who is seeking refuge in God. And, and so it seems like the fortunes start to turn. Ruth heads out to work, and she bumps into this guy called Boaz. Boaz is a good guy, a faithful guy, at a time when there aren't many good guys around. 
And we read that Ruth finds favor with Boaz. He is kind and generous to her. He provides for Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi recognizes that as God's grace to them through Boaz. Things are starting to pick up. And then last week, we saw things really went up a notch. It started to kind of heat up between Ruth and Boaz. They start dating. And there becomes this chance that Boaz might yet actually step in and liberate Ruth and Naomi. He might come in and redeem them. Johnny described it as a family liberator to liberate them. What the story calls a guardian redeemer. Will Boaz marry Ruth and so secure their future and turn the situation around? But here's the, here's the cliffhanger towards the end of the story. See, Boaz seems up for it, but under the, the, the law at the time, the Jewish welfare system, he doesn't have the first right to do that. That there's another man, a closer relative in the extended family, who, who if you like, is, is the person who's to step up and do that to help Ruth and Naomi. And so as we start the, the story where Joe started reading today, Naomi and Ruth are kind of watching and waiting to see what will happen. Who is going to liberate them? Will anyone do it? Is Boaz going to be true to his words? Are all things going to turn out good or is there going to be some other tragedy that prevents their fortunes from turning. And so at the start of this, this final part of the story, the, we were at this scene at this town gate. Now the town gate is just a bit like the, the business and the legal center where deals happen. Uh, and so Boaz, uh, and people gather there with witnesses around to, to do business, basically. And Boaz goes there because he wants to find a solution for Ruth and Naomi's problem. Remember, this law in the Bible, this guardian-redeemer law, we've heard about it. Let me just remind you, it helps people in situations like this. It's like this safety net in the welfare system. So if people fall into hard times and trouble, there's this custom where the closest male relative will step in and protect them, protect their property, and protect the family by even marrying the vulnerable woman. And so when women had lost everything, they had this system that would provide help for them. They wouldn't be left destitute. But as we, Johnny explained last week, that's going to be a very costly thing for a man to do. It's a lot of financial investment and life investment and sacrifice. So, so you aren't forced to do it. It's not an obligation imposed on someone. It's provided for. It's clearly a good and a right thing to do, but you aren't forced to do it. So here's this, this relative, this man who, who has the opportunity to step up and be the guardian redeemer, the opportunity to liberate Ruth and Naomi. And is he up for it? Well, no. No, he's not. So at first, he thinks he's interested. When he hears that he can get hold of some land, and he thinks in verse 4, well, that can benefit me, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I wouldn't mind extending the amount of land I own. That sounds good. But then he hears that Ruth and Naomi are also part of the deal. And providing for the future of their family is what it's about. And suddenly he's not so interested. He says the costs are too great. Look over the page on 270 at verse 6. When he hears about the need to to help Ruth and Naomi, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because... I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. 
an insight into the man's heart there straight away. It's not in my interests. No. It won't extend my legacy or, 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 or my reach. No, I can't do it. I count myself out. I can't endanger my estate. What I'm going to pass on to my family, I'm not going to help others. See, this guy hasn't broken any law, but he hasn't done a thing that is right and good. And so he leaves Ruth and he leaves Naomi in this very difficult situation. It's funny, isn't it? He wants to protect his own name, his own legacy, his own future. I think we're being told something. This man is unnamed here. We don't even know his name. His name is lost to us. I think we can be just like this guy, right? See, we have an opportunity to do something good, to step into a new way of serving someone, or to put ourselves forward to do something that we don't have to do, but we know it would be a good thing to do. But it would be costly for us. It would take some energy, take some time. It might involve some money. We'd have to adjust our priorities. We'd have to let go of some stuff that we could do otherwise. And so we find it so hard to step into those kind of things, don't we? It's just easy to leave it to someone else. Oh, someone else will do it. Surely there's someone else who's better placed to do it than me. You know, it's helping that neighbor in need. Maybe another neighbor will do it. It's giving money to someone for a need when nobody will know about it. Maybe someone else can step up. It's volunteering to serve in some way when a need is made known. Oh, surely someone else can do that rather than me. It's interesting how differently we tend to respond when that opportunity comes up and we can see some way that it's going to benefit us, actually. So the neighbor just happens to be the really rich neighbor. So if I help them, then maybe, you know, I might get to borrow their car from time to time or, you know, there's going to be some payback, actually. Suddenly we're a lot keener, aren't we? Or, or, or the, money, the, the, the need to give money is suddenly quite a public one, so people will know that we've given money. And Oh, yeah, I think I can, I can dig deep for that. Or, or, or the need for, for volunteers for something that, that is up front and seen, and people, people know that we, we step forward. Why are we like that? I, I guess we're a bit like this guy. I guess we're a bit like him. Maybe we want an easy life, and if we're going to have to work for something, then we need to see kind of it's going to have some gain for us. Or we'll just leave it to someone else. I think I can be like that very often. But listen, Boaz is different, isn't he? It's a beautiful thing. Boaz is a man who, who steps up to the plate. He, he comes and he gathers the witnesses together at this uh, town gate. He gets this agreement formalized with this sandal handshake thing. You know, I, I don't know, but it's, it's signing a contract, right? It's, it's making it formal um, back, back, back in that day. And then in verse 9 and 10, he goes and buys the property and he takes Ruth and Naomi into his care. Now listen, I'm just aware that the way this is described, it might have kind of pricked in your ears, is a little bit awkward to us. Because in verse 10, it says that he acquires Ruth. He acquires Ruth. And that's not really the kind of way that we want to talk about men and women getting married today, do we? And, uh, and that's not the kind of language we use. Well listen, what it means is that he takes her as his wife. Actually, we need to see in, in this story, it's an act of love and grace and kindness 
where Ruth is honored and valued and safe. So that the words that are used are not the sort of words we'd use today, I know. But what we do see in the way that Boaz treats Ruth is actually that it's beautiful and it's kind and it's generous. In fact, it's miles better than many women are treated by many men today. So let's not get hung up on the word that's used from a different culture and time. Let's see what's really happening. You see, this is greatly costly for Boaz. He has to pour himself out in sacrifice. In fact, his desire to serve others shapes something so big as a decision as to who he marries and spends his whole life with. That is a big decision to which to be shaped by a other-centered kind of loving care. And he redeems Ruth, in, in a sense. He is the guardian redeemer. Now, the question to ask is, what is Baz's intention in doing this? Is it that he might make a name for himself? Is it that he knows this is going to become a famous story? He's like, I see my chance here. This is going to be written down, and I'm going to be known as Boaz the Great, you know? This is awesome. I can have the starring role. Well, no, look at verse 10. This is what drives him. He wanted to maintain the name of the dead with his property. That's Marlon, um, Ruth's dead husband. So that his name will not disappear. See, Boaz isn't seeking his own name or his own legacy or his own fame, but he's honoring this guy who's died and his heritage as God's law provided. Quite incredible, really, isn't it? When you think about it. You think, what is it that drives him to be so different to this other guardian redeemer who opted out of the deal? Listen, we've seen through the story, Boaz loves other people. We've seen that time and time again, the way he treats his employees, the way he treats Naomi and Ruth, all sorts of ways. I think it's this, because he has a dynamic and living relationship with God. We see in this story that he loves God and he fears God. He knows that God loves him. And so God isn't just this idea, but it's a a relationship that impacts his life. And and he knows God's word, and he puts it into practice in all sorts of areas of life, and he acts with integrity. He knows God's faithfulness to him, and so he is faithful to others. We've We've seen, haven't we, how... Boaz is like um, a reminder, like a picture of, of Jesus, a pointer to him. Boaz is kind of like Jesus in lots of ways in this story. Jesus, who is our redeemer. Jesus, who the Bible says did not grasp at equality with God, did not grasp at his own fame and his own fortune and his own advantage, but gave up his rights to humbly and sacrificially redeem us who the Bible says chose to go to his death on the cross. The Bible goes on and describes the love of Jesus that is so great that it's described by the love a husband has for a wife. See, our relationship with Jesus is one like a marriage. Jesus binding himself to his people in covenant love and faithfulness, sacrificing all he has for us as his bride. It's described in um, the book of Ephesians. 
In chapter 5, it says this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the words and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's in the heart of this marriage imagery. It's how Jesus loves you. Like a loving and doting husband. And he binds himself in marriage to us for our good and for our future. He comes and he shares his future with us. We get his inheritance. We have that to look forward to. We get his rights and his joys and his privileges. We were like Ruth and Naomi with no hope and no future. It was bleak for us. Yet he comes and he binds himself to us and shares with us all the good things that he has. And so the best for us really is yet to come. You see, this story of Boaz and Ruth helps us appreciate and and remember and enjoy the things that we have in Jesus. It warms our heart with those things again. And and that is something of the big picture. But I want to just get a little bit more personal for a moment because there's a really personal way this plays out. You see that in, in Ruth and Naomi, right? The way that the redemption through Boaz comes in their story is really specific and particular to each of them. So Ruth starts off, she's childless, she's a foreigner, she's from Moab, she's a threat, she's an enemy of God and his people. And in this story, she becomes part of God's people, part of Israel. And more than that, she becomes the mother of God's people. See, in a moment, she finds herself in the family story. Rather than being a threat to the people, she nurtures Obed, a little Israelite baby boy. She's a very significant part in their history. That's how she's redeemed. It all changes for Naomi. At the start of the story, she tells her friends to call her Mara, bitter. She says, I'm empty, childless, coming back from a foreign land with no security or no future. Now here at the end in verse 14, those same friends are praising God because he's turned all of those things around for Naomi. Now she's full, not empty. Now she's fruitful with, 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 with the future generation, with her grandson and, uh, and, and Boaz looking after the family. She's at home in Bethlehem, not foreign and far away. See, it's a beautiful picture for us how God, in individual lives, in individual situations, according to what we're facing, brings some kind of redemption, brings hope through our despair. It's personal and it's kind and it's specific. You know, it's, it's God's redeeming work that might take us from being this, this kind of porn-addicted luster to being a man who is faithful to his wife through many decades of marriage. It's, it's this redeeming work of God that might take us from and reshape us from being a gossiper and a backbiter and always something to say about someone to someone else to a woman who is self-controlled in our words, who has words of peace and encourages and builds up others. It's this work of God, this redemption that remolds us from lovers of comfort who do anything for an easy life to those who pour ourselves out in loving sacrifice of others.
to serve others' needs. See, whatever your trials, whatever your, your struggles, your vices, your difficulties, not be on God's redeeming work and his change, his bringing good and beautiful things. He's bringing hope through despair. So this isn't just a, a story that's told with a moral so that we will just read it and we'll be like, right, we need to be more Boaz and less, you know, the other guy, the unnamed redeemer. Let's be more like him. Because if you're anything like me, you kind of feel that and you try that and you try it again and yet you keep failing and you keep struggling. See, self-interest in us dies hard and it dies slow. But this story is first and foremost to point us back to Jesus. That's why we need to think about him when we read it, because it illustrates how he redeems. And we see our experience of his redemption in our life come alive again as we read the story. And so as we experience that, as we experience his undying faithfulness to us, as we see his redemptive work in our lives, in practical ways, in specific ways, day by day working out, in knowing how he deals with us kindly and gently, then we too are transformed little by little. And we do become a bit more like Boaz, these mini-me kind of redeemers, redeeming situations in the world around us, loving and serving others, eager to serve his purposes and glory, eager to see his redemption work out in lives of others around us. So we can become more like Boaz through knowing and experiencing Jesus' redeeming work in our lives. Here's the thing I want us to see as we kind of as we come to close. It's quite incredible. Who knows what incredible things God could choose to do through you? See, if we if we get caught in the detail of this story and just read this story in isolation then we miss the true depths and the beauty of what is achieved. What we need to do is we kind of need to zoom out and take this wider view of this story, rise above the individual characters and the events, and see how this story fits into the bigger story of what God is doing. Look with me at the the prayer in verses 11 and 12. It's the prayer that kind of closes the the deal, really, on, on Boaz redeeming Ruth and Naomi. The witnesses say, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epaphra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. See, the prayer to God of these people is for God to do something big in this family. They say, would God do something big like he's done in famous people in the past? The famous people of Israel in the family tree. Uh, Rachel and Leah are like the, the mothers of the nation. And as, as Ruth and Boaz, in their own ways, they sacrificed their own fame, their own legacy, their own comfort. As they have put aside self-interest and have sought faithfulness to God in this story. The question is, what will God do with that? What's he going to do with that kind of sacrifice? 
listen, the, the, the beautiful and incredible answer is in the ending of the story in this family tree. You kind of think, this is such a great story. Why do they go and end it with a family tree? It's such a boring way to end it. But listen, no, it's beautiful. Because this shows how Ruth and Boaz fit into the bigger story. This shows how they fit into what God is doing, his redemptive plan down through history. You see down there? There is uh, Boaz in that story. There in verse 21. Also in verse 17, before the family tree comes. You see, Ruth and Boaz find their way in this family tree of God's people. They have been blessed with a son, and that is a very significant thing. They become famous in some way. They're willing to give up their fame, give up their name. And yet here their names are preserved. And yet more than that, their son is Obed. Obed has a son called Jesse, and Jesse has a son called David. David, who goes on to become the greatest king of Israel, the king who carries all of the promises of God in his kingship and in his kingdom. Ruth and Boaz are David's great-grandparents. It's unbelievable. And and then Matthew, a thousand years later, when he starts the story of Jesus' life, he picks up this same family tree. uh, And he takes it to to David. And then he carries it on. Actually, Ruth finds her way into Matthew's family tree, which is quite an interesting thing. Uh, and, And Matthew carries on the family tree through 28 generations from David's until we get to Joseph, who we read as the husband of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Son of David, the Redeemer. See, Ruth and Boaz, in God's grace, in God's divine wisdom, in God's sense of humor, they are Jesus' great, 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 28 times great, grandparents. And Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the ultimate Redeemer. He is the one who brings hope through despair. He is the one who their life story points to and finds fulfillment in. How cool is that? They give it all up, and God says, no, you're going to have a place in my story. You're going to have a place. They had no idea that they would be the great-grandparents of King David let alone the great-great-great-grandparents of Jesus, right? No idea about that. They had no idea they were going to find their place in this story. Yet they were faithful to God. They sought him. They loved others. They set aside self. And God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. You see, you want your life to count for something. You want to make that big impact. You want to make a difference. You want to make a splash. Well, listen, do not seek your own fame. Don't seek your own legacy or your own reputation, whether it's at work, whether it's through your kids and what you pass on to them, whether it's in your gifts and your talents. No, know that Jesus has redeemed you. Know he is faithful like Boaz knew God was faithful. No, he has freed you to live for something else. To live for his glory and his kingdom. And so forsake all else and be faithful to him. 
And then in faithfulness to him, pour yourself out in loving sacrifice to others. See, Jesus frees us to be able to make that choice. We don't have to. No obligation. He allows us to do it. And the awesome thought is this. As you do that, do that this week, really small and insignificant ways, just day by day, unseen ways, unknown ways by others. Just think how God can use that. Just think what he might choose to do with that, those insignificant little decisions and actions. He can take them and just achieve great and wonderful things. You know, it might be in, in a few weeks, that person that you kind of awkwardly befriend at Park Life and try and strike a com- conversation with. Well, chain of events, they end up in church and they hear the gospel and, and they're eternally saved. Just that little awkward conversation. Or it might be that your children capture a vision from you through the way that you just live at home day by day where no one else sees of a life that is poured out for Jesus. And that just captures their heart. And they grow up to make a far greater impact than you will ever make for the kingdom. They go to, I don't know, some unreached people group of the Middle East. See, church is planted and the gospel spread like wildfire. Just because you were faithful in the small things at home and God used it. Or or maybe your colleague is just intrigued by the way that you're different in just so many different ways in the workplace and so that wins you a chance to to speak about Jesus. Or or maybe there's a chain of events that run through many generations that you never live to see, that you just have no idea about. But the sovereign God uses, and he's used you in some ways in that chain of events, and uses the redeeming purposes of his, for his glory and for people's good. You see, God is still a redeeming God. God is still at work in exactly these ways in the world through his Son and by his Spirit. He's still working through history. He's still at work in your life today. He wants to be at work in your life this week. And yes, he brings hope through our despair. Yes, Jesus is the faithful husband who has loved us and given himself for us. And we receive from him. And through changing us, he then sends us out to be little redeemers in the world around us, just like Boaz. And we do that just trusting God. You do it as you like, God. But you can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray. God, we we thank you and we praise you. We praise you for this story of hope through despair. We praise you of this story where you, you delight and decide to use ordinary people in their ordinary lives, in their ordinary decisions to achieve quite amazing and spectacular things in history. Lord, thank you firstly that we have received your love and your care and your faithfulness in Jesus who is always faithful to us, who always loves us. And thank you too that you have filled our lives with purpose. Purpose that is found in pursuing him and his glory. And in living for him. Help us, Lord, where we don't have to. But by your spirit, we want to step into that. Step into what you call us to. Would you use those things in ways that will astound us. When one day we finally get to see and hear what you have done. Amen.